that signing to those things. Cindy Carnegie did that with them, did an awesome job working with the kids. <clears throat> the muscle. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> now you know, the secret is out, now you know that those people who do the announcements aren't perfect. <laughs> okay? It, it takes some work. And uh, because of that, I hope you will now be more gracious toward me when I foul up. All right? Which I know doesn't happen too often. <laughs> Listen, isn't God good? Yes, I tell you, I, I, came, uh, I came in, um, you know, the toward the end of the worship of the second service here. And there's just such a good spirit of people worshiping and, and um, pressing in and entering in. And that's um, what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning. But uh, it's great to see just, you know, pressing into God to experience the Lord. Amen? Um, how many you know that God is make all the difference in your, world, in your life, right? He makes all the difference in the world. Um, you know, when you come to the new year, you, you finish off one year and, and you come to a new one, it's a, it's a good dividing line. Like it's just a clear line that we can see. And uh, I, I kind of liken it sometimes to flipping a page and going to a new chapter in a book. Um, you can look back at this past year and you can kind of look at what went well and what didn't go so well and the victories you had and maybe some of the defeats you had. But you can look forward and say, you know, this year, starting today, this year is going to be better. Come on. This year is going to be better. It's going to be a better year for the Lord. I'm going to uh, serve the Lord better. I'm going to experience Him in a greater way. I'm going to move forward. So whatever regrets I might have had or whatever victories I might have had, well, they're behind me. Now we're going to move forward. And how many can believe God, this will be a better year? God will do great things. I don't care if you had a good year, it'll be a better year. If you had a bad year, it'll be a better year. Amen? Now, we have to understand that, you know, God has called each and every one of us to do something for Him. You've been called with a purpose. You've been called to the prayer. You're, you're, you weren't saved just to come to church, sing some songs, listen to somebody speak, talk to your friends, and go home, and then come back and do it again the next week. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's participation. We, we're involved in it. We participate in it. We, we experience God. We walk with God. We experience God. And if you're going to move into the new year, and you're going to live a life that gets something done for God, you've got to be courageous. There's lots of places in the Bible where God says to fear not. You have to be courageous if you're going to get something done. Passive, shy people who, who don't step forward rarely accomplish anything. You have to have some courage to say, you know what? I'm going to get out of the boat this year. I'm not going to stay in my comfort zone this year. I'm not going to live the way I've been living this year. It's going to be better this year. I'm going to be courageous this year. You with me here? Interesting verse here in Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Now, I, I know that's talking about um, comparing, say, an unsaved person who doesn't have the Lord to a person who does. But there's a clear application for you and I because sin and... and um, uh, uh, displeasing God weakens us. It weakens all of us. See, a person who doesn't know the Lord, you know, there's all kinds of people with fears and anxieties and, and, and conditions and things, and, 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 they, and they, they can't function properly. And literally, they're running from life, but nobody's pursuing them. You, do you know they tell us, I think, about 90% of what we worry about never comes to pass? 95 or something like that, some crazy number that we worry about never comes to pass. And so many people are running from nothing. They're, they're staying back because of nothing. They're letting fear and anxiety and unbelief affect their life. And, and, and sin and disobedience to God has that effect on us. It causes us to withdraw. That's one of the reasons we have things like Sozo and, and uh, different things we have in the church to help people find freedom. Because we know when you get free, you can serve God and make a difference. But as long as you're bound by things, you'll run when no one's pursuing. You'll withdraw. You'll stay back good example of what I mean. If you think of uh, uh, Adam and Eve back in, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, 
you know, they had a good relationship with God. They were walking with God, and uh, they had a good relationship with God. He would come into the garden and hang out with them, and they just went back and forth, and they had a, they had a good thing going. And then they disobeyed. They, they, they ate of the, the fruit, and they disobeyed. And then God showed up in the garden one day, and they weren't there. They were hiding. You see, what happens when we get a guilty conscience and we won't assume responsibility for our life, we tend to hide from God and hide from truth is what we do. We hide. We, we get away. We don't want to be confronted with it because truth can hurt. I, I watch when I speak. If you're talking about giving, people that give say amen. People that don't, they, they don't like it. Right? When you talk about forgiving, well, people who have learned how to forgive, they, they, they're amen, they're behind it. When, but when you've been hurt and you haven't learned how to forgive, it can seem hard when truth hits you and it, and it, just, it goes into one of those spots that, where truth is required. Well, when you're guilty and you don't want to assume responsibility, you tend to hide. You tend to, when, when you do that, make excuses. Right? We, we, we love making excuses and and trying to justify the things that we do wrong. The problem is one day when we stand before God, no excuse is going to work. So we need to prepare ourselves now and not live a life of excuses today that causes us to withdraw and stay back. And the third thing that people like to do, you see it with Adam and Eve, they like to blame. Right? People like to blame others for their problems. Uh, Adam um, says, well, you know, it was that woman you gave me. I was doing fine without that woman, but now you give her, and now look at the mess of men. Well, you know what Adam was really doing, but he didn't understand it. He was declaring his own ineffectiveness as a man. Because a man is supposed to lead the home and set the tone in the home and be the, be the, the spiritual head and just set that atmosphere and, and love his family and care for his family and do all of these things. Well, Adam neglected his responsibility, and as a result, his wife got involved in something she shouldn't have done. And then the wife says, well, it wasn't my fault. It was that serpent. The serpent wasn't there, I wouldn't have done it. See, so we like to hide from God, we like to make excuses, and we like to blame when, when we're, we're guilty. But that's not what God has called us to do. How many know that if you're going to serve God, you've got to get past those sort of things. You, you, you have to get over the inhibitions and the fears and the hang-ups that stop you from stepping out, right? You, you, can't, you can't stay in the boat and make a difference. You've got to get out, you've got to walk, you've got to step out. And Did you know that, that you know, fear... And inhibition, you know, fear is a topic spoken about uh, greatly in the Bible, and it's one of the tactics of the enemy to, to defeat you. He wants to put fear and unbelief in your life so that you won't step forward because he knows if he can do that, he's got you. He, he's got you where he wants you because you're, you're, you're staying back. Nobody's pursuing, but you're staying back because there's inhibitions and fear in our life. Did you know in the Gospels, Jesus gave the command, fear not more than any other command? In the Gospels, fear not is spoken more than any other command. In the Bible, the number one command given throughout all Scripture in the Bible used 400 times is fear not. See, God knows that, that if we're going to get something done for Him, we've got to get past our fears, past our inhibitions, past our hang-ups, and we've got to move forward to get something done for God. We'll never get something done if, if, we're, if we're living in fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Any debilitating fear and anxiety that holds you back is not from God. And all of this stuff gets put on us in life. Life can be tough. Life can be unfair. Life can mistreat us. And if we allow it to, to sink into our hearts and take a hold of us and, and, and get into us, you know, you know it, it'll, it'll, make, it'll be debilitating. It'll hold us back. No family is perfect. No job is perfect. No situation is perfect. Life happens. But how do you respond to it? If you respond incorrectly, you'll be bound by fear and hang-ups and inhibition. You'll spend your life in the shadows never doing anything for God if you let this affect, uh, affect your life. Now, I want you to understand that we can talk, and, and I, can, I can share this with you today, but I want to let you know that knowledge is not enough. Information is not enough. It's not enough. In information will not uh, change your life. Knowledge will not, will not bring about a change in your life. You know, everybody knows. I'll read you this stat first. LifeWay Research 
uh, organization in the United States uh, operated from a church. They do a lot of research within churches to find out trends and things in church. And they did this some research and found that 80% of those who attend church believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. Now, the amazing thing about that is there's 20% who don't think it's necessary. They don't care if somebody spends eternity without God, apparently. 80% feel it's a responsibility. 20% seem like they could care less. And of those 20, uh, 80%, only six, or, or 61% rarely share their faith, which means about 15, 12, 15% of Christians share their faith on any kind of regular basis. And yet every single one knows we're supposed to. Right? You can agree with me. This isn't one of those times we want to act guilty. <laughs> Pretend you're not. Right? We know we're supposed to, but we don't because knowledge is not enough. Knowledge of knowing what to do is not enough. We need more than just information. We need something else. Now, how can you become courageous for God? How can you become courageous? How can you live a life where you can do something significant for God. Now, it's not based on personality. Some people are more outgoing. Some people are quiet. Uh, that's not personality. How can you become a man or a woman that can do courageous things for God and make a difference with your life? I'm going to give you some things here in just a moment. You know, the verse that I read, the, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, the Hebrew word, you know, the Old Testament was basically written in Hebrew and the New Testament in, in, in Greek and so that Hebrew word that is translated into the English bold, okay, that Hebrew word is used 120 times in the, in the Old Testament. Now, the word, it's translated into the English word confident six times. It's translated into the English word secure four times. It's translated into the English word bold one time. And it's translated into the English word trust 103 times. I want to suggest to you that trust creates confidence. Trust creates boldness. Trust creates courage. If you get in a relationship and it's a healthy, good relationship and you can trust one another, that will be a strong relationship that will last forever. But when you can't trust, things begin to get weak. Things begin to get a little bit sour. Things go the wrong way. I'll give you an example of what I mean because trust is important if you're going to become a courageous person. You have, to have, you have to have trust. If we all went out to Coots Paradise this afternoon, with this frigid weather we've been having, you know, I want to let you know, in spite of my son saying it's a good thing, it is not. Okay? It is a bad thing. No good comes out of frigid weather. You know what I mean? So if we went down with this terribly cold, frigid weather we've been having, you went down to Coots Paradise you'd find that it's frozen over and it's thick ice. And you could walk out on that ice and you wouldn't worry about it because you know the ice is thick. You could walk across the water, not an issue. You do it with confidence. You see people out there skating, playing hockey, doing different things on the ice because they know they're safe, they're secure, they're bold, they'll get out there and they'll do what they got to do and they won't worry about a thing because the ice is so thick. Now, if we go out in the springtime, and the temperatures begin to get milder and it's warming up. And you went out to Coots Paradise and you saw some ice, and, but you see some patches of water. And you thought, well, I'm going to see what the ice is like. And you start walking on the ice and it begins to crack and break under your feet. How many know you wouldn't be quite as secure as you would be if you went out today? Right? Because you can't trust the ice. You don't know if you're going to end up going through or not. See, trust creates confidence and boldness. When we trust we will become courageous. When we don't, we'll draw back and we'll flee when nobody's pursuing. We'll take the easy route. We'll look for the, the, the soft way, the easy way all the time if we don't develop a, a, a spirit of, of boldness and confidence and faith in, in our lives. Now, Daniel chapter 11, the third, verse 32, the, just the end, the second part of that verse says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How many here know God? You know the next question? How many are doing great exploits? See, because it says the people who know their God are going to do things. I think this is what it's saying. Are going to do things beyond their human ability to do. 
They're going to do things beyond what they would naturally do of themselves. They would do something greater than that, those who know their God. And I want to suggest to you today, there's too many Christians who know God intellectually, but they don't know him personally. They said a prayer, and the Spirit of God is living in them, but they're lacking that relationship with God where they know him in a personal, significant way, but they know about him. But knowing about him isn't enough. See, because when you know him personally, you'll be strong, and you'll do exploits. You'll get out of your comfort zone, and you'll do things you never dreamt you could do when you know God, and you're walking with God. Now, God has called each one of us to, to overcome and conquer and make his name great. Do you know we've got a responsibility to make the name of Jesus Christ great in our society? We live in a world today where, where the Bible is ridiculed, Jesus Christ is mocked, he's pushed aside as a fictional character, but I know different and you know different. Well, are you going to listen to the lies of what's going on out there or are you going to listen to the word of God? Are you going to flee and withdraw and not say anything because society has turned their back? Or are you going to be bold as a lion and be courageous for God and make his name great? Make his name great. Let him know the good things, people know the good things he's done and how awesome he is and how he can help them. Or are we going to get intimidated by the spirit that's in the world? We've got a responsibility, see, to, to make his name great. And, and we'll never do that just by information alone. It will come from experiencing the reality of God in our life because that's where you will develop trust, and trust creates courage. We'll become courageous people for the Lord. Let me give you a few, th- few things here on how we can develop um, or understanding the presence of God, what the presence of God will do in, in our lives and how we will develop courage in our, in our lives. The first thing I want you to see is uh, Psalm 22 and verse 3. Worship ushers in the presence of God. I want you to see this. But you, speaking of God, are holy. Okay? So we know he's holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Where does God hang out? He hangs out where people worship, where people praise, and people adore him. He hangs out. How many have ever had this experience? You come into church, and, and you begin to worship, or maybe it's happened in your own personal devotions, and you begin to worship, and you're, and you're, you're here, and, and the atmosphere starts to change in the sanctuary. When I walked in, there was something different in here when I came in today as you were worshiping. How many sense that the things begin to change? The atmosphere changes. It's not the same as it was when you came in. It's not the same as it was at home before you, you came to church. Your, 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 the atmosphere in your heart changes. The atmosphere in your head changes. Things begin to change. You begin to see life differently. How many have experienced that? You should, because if you haven't, you're not worshiping. Okay? Because when you get in the presence of God, He shows up. Or when you worship, He shows up. And now you're in the presence of God. And that's why the atmosphere changes. And there are too many Christians, they know information about God, but they don't experience the reality of God. See, I've, listen, I've gone to hockey games and I've cheered for my team. The atmosphere didn't change. In my unsaved days, I've gone to rock concerts and cheered. The atmosphere sure didn't change. But when I come to church, I begin to worship and raise my voice and lift my arms and love on God. The atmosphere changes and I change. Something happens here. Something happens in me. You know, I, 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 I love watching. It's often with, with newer people that come in, and they'll, they'll come to the church, and they get into a worship service, and they start crying. And they don't know why. They, they don't know what's going on. They, they don't understand it. One of my favorite stories I've come across over the years, there was a, a lady visiting one time because one of her friends was in the choir that was uh, singing. And she was unsaved, and she was an atheist, actually. And um, she'd come out a few times to watch her friend sing in the, in the choir. And during one of the services, she was standing, during the worship time, she was standing out in the foyer, and somebody walked past and saw her, and she was crying, and went up to her and said, well, are you okay? She said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, but I don't know what it is, but every time I come to this church, I cry. Well, that's the Spirit of God moving on the atheist who doesn't believe in God. See, the Spirit of God shows up. You know, you don't have to love God, but He loves you. See, He cares about you. And, and when there's worship, He shows up. How many understand that if, if God were to manifest Himself right now, just bam, appear before us right now, you wouldn't be sitting there? 
Things would change instantaneously. Instantaneously in the presence of God, things would change. Well, when you worship, God says, hey, that's where I'm going. People love me. People worshiping me. I show up there. I manifest myself to them. They will experience me when they worship. That's why we worship. We're not trying to be different. And that's why we keep after it and after it and after it. If you don't become a worshiper, you then become a religious person. Because you have information of God, but you don't really have the spirit of God. Right? We all have the spirit. I know people will say, I prayed the spirit of God's living in me. But are you experiencing that on a daily basis? It's information you have, but are you experiencing the reality and the power of the Spirit of God operating through you? Because that's what God wants from us. He wants us to experience Him, live with Him, know Him. And when we praise and worship, He shows up and things change. And the atmosphere gets different. My thoughts get different. My heart gets different. Things change when we worship. Second thing that happens. Uh, you, you receive strength in the presence of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. We receive strength in the presence of God. How many have ever felt weak, spiritually weak and drained? And How many have felt that way more than once? How many have felt that way this week? Maybe this morning, right? It happens to us. It, it, it happens to us. But listen, it says here, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, I've got to tell you something here before I go on. Something very important. Those who wait will renew their strength. You can't wait in a hurry. There's no such thing as waiting in a hurry. Go and look the word up in the Hebrew and you'll find out that it's the concept of lingering and waiting and taking your time. He says, those who take time, set aside time to spend with me, those that wait on the Lord, those who, who come and they, they've set, pushed things aside and say, this is my time for me to be with God. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. See, you get supernatural strength from God in the presence of God. It's supernatural. It's not your strength. It's not my strength. It's the strength of God that comes into us. And he strengthens you when you get into his presence. Now, you're acting like you're unfamiliar with this. And, and, and if so, then we, you know, we should be maybe talking about this for the next six months every weekend. Because without the presence of God, you have no chance. You have no chance without the presence of God. You're defeated. You will run when nobody's pursuing. Because without the presence of God, we're living in our own strength. We're living in our own abilities. We know about God, but we're not experiencing God. But when you get into his presence, it says he will give you his supernatural strength in his presence. Listen, if you're going to do something great for God, it takes some effort. It takes effort. You've got to get out there and make an effort. You've got to get out of your comfort zone and move forward. Well, he will give you the strength to do that. There's no such thing as being comfortable and advancing. It doesn't work that way. So you, want, you, you, you need strength to advance. Because he's called us to do something great, something significant. You know, when he called his disciples, he said, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He called them with a purpose. He didn't just say, come and hang out. We'll have a good time together, uh, do some fishing, and uh, do a, you know, multiply a few things, and do some miracles, and hang out, and have a great time. He said, no, no, I'm calling you for a purpose. I'm calling you for a reason. Every one of you have been called to a mission. Every one of you for a purpose. But we need the supernatural power and strength of God working in us in order to accomplish that. It won't be done without the Spirit of God. He, he gives you his strength to do what you couldn't otherwise normally do. Now, that's when it gets exciting. When you find yourself doing things that in the natural, you're saying, you know, I'm too shy, I'm too insecure, I'm too, you know, I don't have the training or the background to do that, and you find the supernatural strength of God working through you, and you're doing something you never dreamt you could do, that is an exciting lifestyle. When you start doing that, you start living that way. The third thing is problems diminish. Psalm 97, verse 5, problems diminish. It says the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. What happens when you get into the presence of God? That thing that is overwhelming in your life becomes less overwhelming. 
The mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. You see, the, 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 the problem with so many people, we look at our problems and we magnify our problems. And our problems get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and, and we make God smaller. But when you get in the presence of God and he begins to change the atmosphere and you begin to sense there's something different here, this is not the way it was before. There's something different. And you begin to get a sense of courage in your life. And then you look at a problem you're going through and you think, wait a minute, God is way bigger than that thing. If God before me, who can be against me? I can beat that thing. I can overcome that habit. I can overcome that attitude. I can overcome that circumstance. I don't have to be pushed back and pushed under and held down by these things. I can overcome them because God is on my side. Because you know, God doesn't worry. He's not concerned about the problem. What's it, what is it to God? The one who spoke and everything happens. He's not concerned about it. He's trying to train us not to be concerned about it and trust him. You get into the presence of God and hills and mountains begin to diminish. You know, that's, that's one of the things I, I, I love about David in Scripture. And, and you see him, he's, he took his assignment looking after these sheep. He took it to heart. He did, did it as unto God, and he cared for these sheep. And he learned in doing that to feed them and care for them and nurture them and be a good shepherd and defend them. And he fought off the lion and he fought off the bear. And he learned a lot of stuff looking after those sheep. Well, then when, when Goliath shows up and he's, he's intimidating the nation of Israel, did you know the Bible says that Goliath would take a few steps toward the army and the army ran and, and, and they ran away? The trained soldiers ran away. They knew about God. They had the weapons. They knew what to do. They knew how to use them. But they were so intimidated by Goliath that they turned and run the other way when he took a few steps toward them. David showed up. He said, what's this all about? What the heck's happening here? Who's this guy? Well, he's mocking the armies of Israel. He's mocking our God. Well, not anymore. Not that I'm here. He's not. Let me add him. See, he had learned something. He, he developed by walking with God and learning how to be faithful with God. He developed a courage. He developed a confidence. He developed a faith. Others were looking at that giant, and he was a huge mountain that's insurmountable. David looked at him. He said, he hasn't got a chance. That's not personality. That's not based on his personality type. He didn't do a, a personality uh, test, and they said, well, you're this type of personality. You're good for that. It has nothing to do with that. He, he was used to walking with God. He was used to being faithful with God. He was used to being in the presence of God. And when the enemy showed up, he went after him. Now, when he convinced the king, see, the king think, well, you little ruddy shepherd guy, what do you know? Well, he convinced the king, I can do this guy's nothing. And when he convinced the king to do it, you know the story. Goliath was out in the, in, in the field, and, and, and David went down to, to meet him, and David ran toward him. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous face their problems. The righteous face the things that they have to overcome in life. The enemy you got to beat is not your circumstances, not your spouse, not your boss, not your work environment, not the income you make. The enemy you have to beat is within you. The attitudes you have, the habits you have, the wrong way of thinking you have, the lies you believe, the things that are in our life that hold us back, those are the enemies. And when you beat those enemies, you become more than a conqueror. Because you learn how to rise over these things. You learn how to face the enemy, and you begin to, to see your problems get smaller and your God get bigger. And when that starts to happen, being a Christian gets exciting. Prior to then, it's just a religious thing, and we're no different than Pharisees. We're no different than just religious people going through motions. But when you begin to experience the reality of God that brings victory into your life, that is an exciting thing. So when a problem shows up, it doesn't mean that God's left you. It means he's going to help you get a victory. He's going to take you through that. You're going to learn how to be a warrior. You're going to learn how to get in the presence of God and conquer that thing that's holding you back. You know, the fourth one here is that we, we receive peace in the presence of God. Philippians chapter uh, 1. How many could use a little peace? Right? Have things going a little bit better, a little bit easier. Philippians 1, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the peace of God that comes to us when we're facing difficulty... 
Peace comes to us in the presence of God. When you go before God, get before God, get in the presence of God, and then give him your problems. That's what it's saying. Get in my presence. Give me your problems. Cast everything upon him with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known. Let God know what you're facing. He says his peace will come into your heart. His peace will come into your life. When you get into his presence, you'll experience something different, a peace that that surpasses our understanding. It's not a human peace that happens when, when things go good. It's a peace that happens that's supernatural, that you're at peace even though things around you aren't necessarily stable and going the way you want them to be. But there's an inner confidence in you. There's an inner security in you. There's something in you because you've been in the presence of God that, that allows you the ability to look at this differently, to handle this differently. You know, many people, I'm convinced, I, I, I watched this for so many years, Many Christians have a misconception of peace. They think that peace is the removal of activity, which creates anxiety. And because they have that misconception, they spend their life trying to do as little as they can or just keep things safe so they never stretch themselves and bring anxiety and pressure into their lives. And they have this wrong concept of, of, of peace. It's a, it's a peace... It comes from being inactive. But listen, how do you conquer an enemy and be inactive? How do you do it? How do you fight a war with inactivity? How can you conquer a lie in your life and be passive toward the lie? It can't be done. This stuff can't be done. But if you have the wrong concept, if you have the wrong concept of peace, you are going to be fleeing when nobody's pursuing because you're, you'll be searching for inactivity to create no stress and pressure in your life, and you'll get nothing done. You know, I, um, I uh, don't recommend movies a whole lot, because you have to be careful with that. Um, I saw a few good movies this year. I don't go to a lot, but I saw a few real good ones, and one... Um, I, I'd recommend there might be a little bit of blood and gore in it, seeing that it's a war movie. So if you don't like that, you probably wouldn't like it. But Hacksaw Ridge, if you want to learn something about having convictions, just go see Hacksaw Ridge. And I don't know if there's some wrong language in it or not. If there was, it's only a little bit here or there, I guess. I can't remember. That's about a young man who stood by his convictions and joined the, 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 the army and did amazing things without ever touching a weapon because of his convictions. If you want to learn about convictions, great movie to rent, great movie to see. This week, my wife and I went to the, to the movie. We got out to the show, and there was a great big lineup at the theater, and I thought, oh, no. And it was for Star Wars. <laughs> well, I'm passing on Star Wars. I went to see The Darkest Hour, the story of Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, during the Second World War. Fascinating, fascinating, you know, couple-hour movie, learning a little bit about the Second World War and Winston Churchill. You know, his, his party, uh, they, they had to make a change at the time to prime minister in England. The war was going on in Europe. Nazi Germany was starting to take over Europe, and the war had broken out, and, and there's conflict back in England, and they had to make a change. They needed a new prime minister. Now, his own party didn't want him to be prime minister, but the opposition did, and they knew in order to maintain uh, the government, they needed to work with the opposition, so that's how Churchill got set in, and he became the prime minister. Now, his own party wasn't wild about him, but you know, you know the comment or the attitude he had? He said, I was created for this. I was made for this moment. Now, the Nazis are taking over Europe, they're conquering one country after another, after another, after another. Hitler, this madman, is going wild, just destroying everything in his path. And he gets sent in as prime minister. And he says, I'm ready for this. You know, I, I know Christians, if they've got to take the bus somewhere to church, they think it's a terrible, terrible travesty of life. And this guy got sent in, in that situation, to deal with that problem. Well, he put together a war cabinet made up a lot of the opposition members and some of his own members, uh, party members, to advise him on, on the war. And they started to advise him on this. They, they were saying, we need to make peace with Hitler. We don't stand a chance. 
So a couple weeks after he got set in, they said, uh, uh, Belgium has fallen. The Nazis have taken Belgium. They're in France, and they're about to occupy all of France and take France. We don't stand a chance. They're, they're taking over Europe. We're here in this little island. We don't stand a chance. They have more soldiers than us. They have more planes than us. There's nothing we can do to defend ourselves. You need to go and negotiate peace with Hitler. Contact Mussolini so he can contact Hitler, and we need to come up with a peace agreement with Hitler. They told him, they said to him, our army, we have 400,000 in our army. They're over in France now. They've been backed up to the shores of France. They're against the ocean, the shores of France. They are surrounded by the Nazi army, and with a matter of days, we will not have an army. It will cease to exist. They're going to be destroyed. That's the information he's being given in his war cabinet shortly after being put in, weeks after being put in as prime minister. And he said, they started getting mad at him. They said, we're not giving up. We will not give up. We will not surrender. We will not make peace with this madman. He said, he said we, will, we will die. We will fight and we will die and we'll be lying in the streets in our own blood before we surrender to that madman. That's the attitude this, this alcohol-drinking, cigar-smoking guy had because he said, I'm, this, is, this is my moment. God created me for this. I'm, I was, my whole life has been for this moment. And all the pressure coming on him from all over the place was to surrender, make a peace agreement. Could you imagine what would happen if he had given in to the council of his advisors and the Nazis took over all of Europe and they ended up controlling Europe? Do you, can you imagine what the world could be like today? The life we live in today, and God raised up one man for that time, not a Christian man, just one man at that time who said, I would rather die, I would rather die and lay in the, 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 my own blood in the streets of London than give up to that crazy man. Now, where's that spirit in the church? Where's that spirit? It was good enough that Jesus could die for us, but what about us dying for him? What about us giving up our life for him? Isn't he a worthy cause to give up to? Come on, to give your life to and to serve and surrender to? You know what I've watched over the years? You can get peace two ways. You can surrender or you can win. Two ways you can get peace. His advisors were saying, let's surrender. We need, we can't win this. Let's just surrender and live under those conditions. He said, not a chance. I would rather be dead than live under those conditions. We need Christians with that spirit. You know how many Christians I've watched over the years who have surrendered? They're not fighting any longer to overcome bad habits, bad attitudes. They don't want to serve and make their life count for God. They always pick the easy route out. They try to do the simplest thing, the easiest thing. They don't want to inconvenience themselves because they have a wrong concept of peace. And because they don't have the reality of God in their life to give them peace in the middle of a battle, they, they do it through inactivity. And in essence, they've surrendered to a mad, lunatic, satanic tyrant. They've given in and said, I don't want to fight anymore. I just want my life to have peace. I've watched all kinds of Christians. I've been shocked over the years, the number that I've seen who just by default go into a comfortable position and give up. They come to church. They might put their hands up and they probably put in some money and they might even serve in an area and that's it. They pick the simplest, easiest things. They just take the easy route out because they have a wrong concept of peace. When you get into the presence of God, listen, you can, you can get in the presence of God where, where you begin to experience God. You begin to, to hit, be empowered by God. You begin to, in the middle of a battle, you can say, this is okay. We're, we, we're, this is the battle we're in right now, but we're going to win this thing on the other side. There's a lot of peace waiting for us on the other side. Because this peace becomes a permanent thing that is part of you. It's not based on circumstance. It's not based on how somebody looks at you. It's based on who you are. And that's how you become more than a conqueror. You start winning battles. And you can do it with, a, with an assurance and a confidence and a peace that God's with me. I'm not in this by myself. The supernatural power of God is going to work through me and help me to get through this stuff. I see so many people, you know, oh, do you know what my family's like? Well, yeah, do you know what my family was like? You know, like we've, you know what I mean? We've all got our stuff. Well, it's not as bad. Yes, it is. Right? Everybody thinks their thing is the worst. I got news for you. Somebody is worse than the, for them. You haven't got the worst situation. 
And the way you'll conquer it is by standing up for God, being strong, get in the presence of God, be strengthened by God, and in the middle of your battle, you'll have an assurance that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Then you get a peace by, you can get peace by surrendering to the enemy, or you get peace by surrendering to God. And, and winning the battles with God is the way to do it. One more here, two more, is joy. This, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11, you experience joy in the presence of God. You will show me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. So many people try to find happiness and pleasure and things all over the place. You know where you'll find it? Get in the presence of God. Get into the presence of God and experience the joy and peace that can only come from God. It can't come from anywhere else. You can go into this new year ready to experience God in a new way, live for God in a new way, and you will experience joy and peace and strength and ability that you never dreamt possible if you experience the reality of God in your life on a daily basis. Your life will change. And the last one is courage and victory. I love this passage, 2 Samuel 22, verses 33 to 38, courage and victory. Listen to this. This is awesome. God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to war, uh, to make war, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my paths under me. So my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. Now, how many Christians can say that? But that's, that's supposed to be our lifestyle. I got a habit in my life that's not pleasing to God. How about we run after that habit and pursue that habit until it's destroyed? See, we, we, we got an attitude that, that isn't good where, you know, we're critical or negative or fear, whatever it is. How about we attack that thing? We run after that thing in the presence of God until that thing is destroyed and I can live free from that thing. Pursue your enemy. Go after your enemy because God's giving you the victory. It's a process. It takes time, but God's giving you the victory to win these things, to win these battles in the presence of God. See, our hope is what I'm saying to you here. The only hope we have is the presence of God. It isn't information about God. It's knowing God. If you don't know him, you'll just become a religious person who comes to church and goes home and comes to church and goes home and comes to church. But when you know him, you'll begin to experience these. I just put down six here. There's all kinds of benefits the Bible gives us about being in the presence of God. Could you imagine if he just showed up right now? How cool that would be. God is here in our midst. Do you think your life might change instantaneously if he just manifested himself right now? No. Life would be different. Well, he's living in us. Let's not ignore him. Let's not ignore the spirit of God that's living in us. Let's get into the presence of God. See, there's things that we do and we teach, we encourage you to do around here all the time to experience God. Because here's the dilemma. If you don't want to experience the presence of God, there's really no help we can give you. Because the only advice we've got for you is God. God is what you need. And too many Christians look to men to solve their problems, and then when their problems don't get solved, they blame man. Instead of looking to God, who we know can solve our problem. Our help comes from the Lord, and, and he'll solve the problem we're going through. He'll help us in the difficulty we're going through. So in our church, we encourage you all the time to have personal devotions, how you can experience the God in a greater way. Have personal devotions. That means taking time to get into the presence of God. You have to wait. You don't rush it. You get into the presence of God, worship God, get into his presence. I love having a devotion time. I always worship before I do anything. I want to sense the atmosphere changing before I start doing anything. I'm not interested in just reciting off a whole bunch of things out of my mind to God and ask for his help. I want to experience the reality of God in my prayer time. A year or two ago, we had Joel Stock still here. And he did a great message on how to have daily devotions. And I'd encourage you to go onto our website and look it up in the archives of the messages. Look for Joel Stockstill and listen to that message. Awesome message of how to just, his, 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 his thought was only 15 minutes a day. And then expand on that. As you begin to establish that time, you can begin to expand on that time. 
But personal devotions, you can't win a battle if you're not getting into the presence of God. We can't. None of us can. I can't. You can't. None of us can. God is the one that gives us the victory. God is the one who helps us to conquer. He's the one. It's in his presence. We get supernatural strength and joy and peace, and, and his presence is there, and I get courage, and I'm bold, and I'm ready to do something. Well, you need, you, 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 you need to have the time of personal with, with, with God every day if you can, and if not, frequently meet God so that you can face the day with the courage and confidence that God is with you. Be empowered and strengthened by him. We have pre-service prayer here. I'm telling you that because I don't think most of you understand pre-service prayer and what it's all about. We have time before we start church to meet God, to start setting the atmosphere, worship and, and praying. And, and, you know, so many of you, you miss. You've just you've seemed to me like you've made up your mind. I have no intention of ever coming to pray, which tells me you probably don't have a great devotion life at home because if you did, you'd appreciate the value of God and you'd be running to the presence of God. You wouldn't be avoiding the presence of God. We need God is what I'm trying to say to you. We can't do this without God. We need his power, his strength. So we have a pre-service prayer time, and we take time. We begin to worship to try to set the atmosphere in here. We spend time worshiping God, loving God, get the presence of God. Sometimes we pray about visitors who are coming. We pray for us. We pray for those who are ministering. We do different things before we start to help to create the atmosphere so we can have an awesome time in the presence of God so that the word of God might touch my life. There might be some little tidbit of information or something that's spoken that changes my life or during the worship service, God speaks something to me and it touches my life. Did you know a whisper from God can be life-changing? I've watched people spend thousands of dollars on counseling, and then they get a word from God, and it changed their life. And it's all for free. Just experience God. Well, that's why we, we want to come in and worship. We want to start the day that way in pre-service prayer. I'd encourage you. If church says 9 o'clock, it really means 8.30. If it says 11, it means 10.30. Just reset your clock and make a habit, getting out. Start seeking God. Let's, let's make our mind up this year. We're going to pursue God. We want to get into the presence of God this year. Do something great for God. Our worship service. It was awesome when I came in today. So many people, I looked, hands raised, worshiping. You can sense there was a change. That's the way we've got to do it. Week after week after week after week. Worshiping God, experiencing God. How many know you get in that atmosphere and God can do something that's life-changing for you? He can touch your heart and do something awesome. We have, we have um, uh, right now, once a month, all church prayer time. We encourage you to come out and participate in that. Set the time aside and, and, and get here and, and seek God. And, you know, we, we, sometimes we pray for church issues. Sometimes it's personal issues. And, but we pray. We're seeking God. We're turning to God. We're letting God know we need you. If we're going to win this, if we're going to open up a new campus, if we're going to raise up people, if we're going to do something to impact our region, we need God's help to do it. We'll never do it in our own strength. We'll never do it in our own ability. We need God to do something. We're not here just to play a religious game and, like I say, cycle our lives in and out of church. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to make a difference for God. One day you'll stand before God and you want to be able to say, uh, well, you want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we should be after. And the, and the, and the last one I'll mention, and it's just coming up here next week, after this week, is uh, prayer and fasting. Now, if you say it fast... It's not that bad. Prayer and fasting. <laughs> Say it fast. Prayer and fasting. You know what's good about fasting? Fasting is your way of saying to your flesh, you're not in control. That's what it is. It, 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 you, you, study the, you study the concept of fasting in the Bible. It's you telling your flesh, you're not in control. You're not telling me how to live. I'm telling you how to live. I'm telling you what we're going to do. I'm telling you when we're going to go somewhere. I'm telling you what we're going to do. So many people are controlled by their feelings and their emotions and their circumstances. And woe is me and blah, blah, blah. When you fast, you begin to break the dependence of the flesh. It's what happens. You begin to break its hold over us. You begin to break that, and you begin to, to say that my spirit is running my life. God's spirit is running my life. It isn't my flesh in control anymore. It's the spirit of God. 
you know what? Here's something I've watched for years. It's a promise I'll make to you. Guaranteed, as much as I can guarantee anything. Nobody has ever died during fasting. <laughs> Not one person has ever died during fasting. And I'll tell you this. If you die <laughs> because we're fasting, I guarantee you, we will give you the absolute greatest going home service in the history of Christendom. We'll send it around. All We'll let people know. This is how you honor somebody who died during fasting. You need to tell your flesh, I don't need that burger. I don't need that piece of chicken. I can do without that pizza. No, I don't eat that way because my wife doesn't cook that way. But You with me here? Take it for a week. We're going to have Monday through Friday evenings, prayer and fasting. Come on out. Go on your calendar right now. Clear your calendar out and say, I'm making it a priority to get out here and seek God. I need the presence of God. And that's all I'm trying to get you to understand here today. You, You guys haven't been quite as enthusiastic about this as the other two services. I hope you're listening. I hope it's resonating with you. I hope you're agreeing with what I'm saying because without the presence of God, we become no more than just religious people. We just be religious people going through motions. I, I'd like us to do something, you know, before we go home, actually. I've done it every service. I'd like to do it today. If this has resonated with you at all, if you're knowing in your heart, you say, look, I know I need to experience God more. I don't need just information about God. I need to experience God in a new way, in a greater way. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you're not doing great. It doesn't matter where you are. It's where you want to go, Right? I'd like you to do this. So get up and move to the front. We're going to, take, we're going to do something here. Just move to the front. We're going to show you something. See, God has called you to do something great. He hasn't called you just to be a, a religious person. We're, we're opening up a campus. We're believing God. We're going to start churches in the area and open up other campuses. That, that requires mature, stable, strong people to help run things and, and look after areas and potentially hire and do different things. It requires men and women who, who can get the job done. So we're going to do a little exercise here. All we have is the keyboard there playing quietly. We don't need anything else. I want us to raise our hands up and raise our voice, and I just want us, I want you just to begin to worship. Forget everything else for a minute. Just forget everything else. Let's just worship God. Get your heart on God, your mind on God. Come on, begin to worship the Lord. Just worship. Come on, do it. Do it. Hallelujah, we bless you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you. Oh, we bless your holy name. Oh, Ramamashiyanamandai. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Oh, God, we lift you up. We exalt your name, Lord. We exalt your name, O Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Oh, Lord, it's you we need. Jesus, we honor you. We love you today, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Jesus, it's you we need. We honor you, Lord. We lift you up. Oh, Holy Spirit, touch our lives. Touch our minds. Touch our hearts. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall upon us in a fresh way. Rain upon us, O Lord. O Holy Spirit, rain upon us. Fall upon us in a fresh way. 
we bless you, we honor you. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. We lift you up, O Lord. We lift you up, O Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Oh, touch us in a fresh way. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory. Ananamashi Anamandoramandai. Okay, now if now I'd like you just keep your eyes closed, keep in the presence of God. Don't say a word, just listen. Listen to the Lord. Just listen. Anybody who could share just a word, two, three words, just short, something you feel the Lord spoke to you? Did he speak to any of you about it could be a personal thing that, that you could share publicly or something church-related? Anybody you feel God spoke something to you that you could share right now? Okay, right, right there. Pardon? that trust don't fear believe God for, for, for a good future anybody else do you feel the Lord spoke something to you good be courageous don't fear okay he'll give you the miracle you need Listen, this is, this is powerful stuff. This is life-changing stuff when, when God speaks it to you. Anybody else? Just Okay, so experiencing God gets better and better. Pardon? I am able. God's saying to you, he's able. Yeah. Awesome. It's like, and I love you, you've never heard before. Yeah. Okay. I love you, I'll carry you, I'll see you through. Somebody else?
There's a prophetic word to everybody. Anything else God maybe spoke to? Okay. You know, we're blessed to have one another. Right? And make it go make a difference with your life. Go make disciples, make a difference. One or two more. Rest in rest in the Lord. Rest. Right? Find your peace in him. We read the scripture, peace that passes all understanding when you cast your cares upon him. Okay. I've been wait I've been waiting for you. He's waiting. He's he's got he's got the time. He's waiting. Got another one? One more? I will heal I will heal you and trust he will heal you and trust now do you see what's happening here this is what I want you to understand these things weren't being spoken to you I'm going to assume earlier today it happens when you get into the presence of God when you take the time to get there he can speak a word to you see those things that you're sharing when, when that grips your heart it becomes a word of faith that you hang on to that will change the way you live your life. When you get a real word from God and he speaks to you, it grips you. You know what I, I always like to do when I have a personal devotion time, and this is why I wanted to kind of do this with you. I always take a time to, to worship because I don't want to approach God just in the busyness of my mind and the busyness of my life. So what happens? I'll worship, and sometimes, you know how long we worship there for? Four minutes. I know it seemed like an eternity, but it was four minutes. Now, what I do, sometimes you get into the presence of God. I'm just trying to just show you this. That's not a formula. What I'm trying to say is I worship, and if I don't sense the atmosphere changing and I'm coming into the presence of God, I keep worshiping. I've had prayer times where I set aside an amount, amount of time, and that's all I do is worship. Nothing else happened. That's what I did. I didn't really break through. I've had, and that happens occasionally. Usually you break through and you get to a point and sometimes you just get in the presence of God and I worship the whole time. That's all I just want to experience God. But other times he speaks things like he was speaking to you. He'll speak something and then I'll begin to pray that way. He speaks about my healing. I'll start to pray and do spiritual warfare for my healing and my health and my well-being. And, and, and if he, he said, you know, make disciples. Okay, Lord, help me. I'm going to make disciples. Open the door. And I begin to do spiritual warfare and pray because now I'm praying in tune with what the Spirit of God wants to do. That's when he said, whatever you ask, I'll give to you because when you're praying, his will. When you're praying, you're in tune with the Spirit. It's not just a, a wish list that we pull out of the, you know, start telling God what he's got to do for us. And that's how I pray. And you now you can follow the Lord's Prayer formula, the, the prayer uh, guideline we've used before. And it's almost impossible. I've, I don't think I've ever gotten through it once in one prayer time because you get stuck somewhere. You get to a point and, you're, and you're, you're in the presence of God and you get to that point about, you know, your kingdom come and your will be done. And, and you get stuck there and you start claiming it and believing it and seeing it manifested. And, and you spend time there. Then maybe you move on to another aspect of it and then your prayer time's up and then you pick it up there tomorrow next time you pray but the key is the presence of God without the presence of God these things that you shared wouldn't be happening but when you start to make getting in the presence of God a routine he'll speak life changing things to your life he'll strengthen you I just gave you some of the benefits today of the presence of God a few of them you get in his presence and life 
gets different. Life gets better. Life gets victorious. But it comes out of his strength, not our strength. And that's what I wanted you to see here. That's just a simple method of taking time to worship, get into his presence, and then listen and, and obey and follow what he's saying and pray and intercede and do the different things. And you'll find the healing touch of God just pours over your life and you'll become a new person. You with me there? I hope you are. We've had a great response all weekend and, and people doing this. And last night was powerful. Last night was outstanding what happened. And I want to encourage you. This is life-changing stuff. It isn't religion. It's knowing God. It's walking with God. And once you get rid of that religious spirit and just walk with God, learn how to experience him, obey him, walk with him, I'll tell you, you will do things you never dreamt possible. You'll go into this year and you'll finish off this year and say, this is one of the best years ever. It might have been with struggles. It might have been with difficulty, but you won. But you won. You with me there? How many, how many want to win? Right? He's called us to where we're the head, we're not the tail. See, we're the beginning, we're not the end. We're, we're, we're you know, that's what he's called us to. So how many can say the Lord is good? You agree. Come on, the Lord is good. Let's give him a big hand. Come on.